Well, good morning, and I hope you are already off to a great day today. We've got another fun and fascinating conversation in store and uh, another great guest coming to join us. So I hope you will put on the brakes, grab a cup of coffee, and prepare to join the conversation because it's time once again for Coffee Breaks with Steve. That tastes good this morning. Well, we are here once again, and I know a number of you are already joining in this morning. You may have seen we've started doing something a little bit interesting the last week or two. By the way, I'm Steve, and you're on Coffee Breaks. You're not on Coffee Breaks with Steve, but you are part of the conversation on Coffee Breaks with Steve. So welcome. And you may have noticed if you tuned in last week and or this week that we're kind of getting started a few minutes early and there's a, a slide up there that just says we'll be starting momentarily. And what we're trying to do is just give a little more time. People have mentioned in recent weeks that sometimes they have a hard time even when they see that Coffee Breaks is going live. They have a hard time finding the link. And so we want to give people a few more minutes before we start the conversation to uh, find us, to be able to sign in. And some of you are doing that. And some of you are are right here at 930. So thank you and welcome. Good morning, Corey Ann. Good morning, Kim Baker. Or I should say good meowning or afternoon and happy Catterday. Absolutely. Jay Zetterval, Shalane Shepard, and Rick Venturi. And Shalane's right. Everybody drink. Shalane found us. I'm glad you found us, Shalane. If you're having trouble finding it. Shalan, we've got issues. Shalan is one of our producers and um, very much an active part of the program as she reminds everybody to drink along the way, as well as putting in her own comments. And that's the other thing is that make sure that uh, as you are here today, not only say hi if you're joining us live, say hello as you as you come in so that we see that you are here, but also uh, make sure that you participate in the conversation once we get going. And if you are tuning in later on and watching the recording of this or listening to it on the podcast, you can also make your comments. You can find us uh, the recordings of this as well as live on both Facebook Live where most of you are. And on YouTube, we're live on YouTube as well. And then the recorded version of Coffee Breaks with Steve is available after the fact on Facebook, on this same Facebook page, as well as on the YouTube. And within 24 to 48 hours, we also have uh, the video podcast available on Spotify, as well as audio there and audio on Apple and Google podcasts. So We'll talk about that. I'll mention that again at the uh, end of the, the show today, but it's just another place that you can find us or you can refer people. If you have friends who would like to uh, watch or listen to an episode of Coffee Breaks after the fact, but do make sure if you're joining us either live or later on that you let us know that you're here so that we can part let, let us know that you're, wait, hang on. Wow. Let us know that you're here so that we can make sure that you're included in the conversation. Uh, you may notice I've got a different microphone. This microphone's like right in my face today. We were testing audio ahead of time uh, with my director, Carissa, and she said all she could hear in my, the microphone I usually use is static. And we weren't sure if that was happening on my end or her end, but to play it safe, I went ahead and switched to the microphone that I typically only use for audio um, podcasting, voiceover work, and that type of thing. 
I don't like to use it as much for the video because it's right here. And it's just kind of like in my face for, you know, when I'm trying to look at other things. But hey, we can get by with that. All right, let's see. Carla is here. Good morning, Carla. And again, if you're just joining the conversation, make sure you say hello so we know that you're here and can acknowledge you. And uh, a few special days here before we introduce our guest and, and get into our conversation. Today, the 19th, is National Adoption Day. It's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving. It's not always on November 19th, but it is always on this Saturday. That's a day that we celebrate and recognize adoption. You may have a family that includes children who were adopted. You yourself may have been adopted. And this is a day when we kind of recognize that, recognize the importance of adoption as, uh, as an option. I didn't mean to create a, a rhyme there, but it just happened. And sometimes as a necessity, but it's important that we recognize how many children out there are in need of, of a loving forever home. And I know some of you have participated through fostering and fostering leading to adoption. So thank you for doing that. But this is a day that we celebrate that. Tomorrow, Sunday, um, sorry, I just saw a comment from my sister, Kathy. And hello, Kathy, for, uh, thanks for being here, uh, saying that she may have been adopted and our sister Carla certainly was. There's a longstanding story from our childhood that goes with all of that that I won't get into, but Carla actually is not adopted. Um, so let's see. So today is National Adoption Day. Tomorrow, Sunday, the 20th, is National Absurdity Day. And I thought it was important to put that in here because I'm one of those people who uh, I appreciate absurd comedy, uh, theater of the absurd and that type of thing. But apparently Absurdity Day is a day when you can do completely off the wall and absurd things. As with so many things that come up on the calendar, I don't need to wait for a special day. I don't know about you. But apparently if you are um, a person who doesn't normally get into absurdity, tomorrow is the day you can do it. And then let's see, Tuesday, I didn't have a specific calendar event. I mean, there are several things. I go to a site that shows special days that are coming up and I just kind of pick and choose from there. But I didn't pick anything specifically for Tuesday other than the fact that it's a, a day in history. November 22nd, 59 years ago this year, 59 years ago when President Kennedy was assassinated. And I was a young boy at the time, but I remember that. And I think my my sister Kathy and I can, you know, share memories from that day, being at school, coming home from school and, and the rest of really the rest of the year. So much was going on that was affected by that and in, in the months beyond that. But that's 59 years ago on Tuesday. And then on the 23rd, a couple of things coming up on the 23rd, National Cashew Day. I'm a fan of cashews. Um, love to have cashews on hand. In fact, I was just munching on some yesterday. But National Cashew Day, I don't need a special day, but it's there if you want it, the 23rd. It's also National Espresso Day. And I think that's, you know, espresso being a type of coffee. We're all about the coffee here. So mention the fact that Wednesday is National Espresso Day. Once again, I don't know. If you're into espresso, you probably don't need a special day for it. But um, there you go. Um and then Thursday, I think we most of us know that in the United States, and I'm being specific with that, it is Thanksgiving. The fourth Thursday of November is is recognized as Thanksgiving. It has been for a number of years. I'm not going to go into the history behind that, when, how it was celebrated previously informally at different times and then became a national holiday. But that's there you go. It's this Thursday. Curious what your plans are. 
for Thanksgiving. If you have plans with family or just yourself or whatever you're going to be doing for Thanksgiving, what is that going to look like for you? You can put that in the comments if you would like to. I'm just glancing real quick to see beyond the ongoing conversation in the chat about whether or not Carla is my sister, Carla is adopted uh, or a princess. And again, going back to some childhood pranks. Um, but make sure you are saying, and, and Corianne says, espresso yourself. I, I like that. Uh, make sure you are saying hello if you just joined us so that we know that you're here. And then Friday, of course, is Black Friday. Black Friday. I don't even know if this is still true. The, 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 the day Black Friday got its name because that was typically the day back in the, at least back in the old days of retail, when throughout the year, you know, retailers would be trying to break even. Uh, get out of the red and actually be making a profit. And because of all of the Christmas sales that would begin the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday was traditionally the day that retailers would actually begin going from the red into the black, making a profit. So that's that's the name. Now there's so much that's just early Black Friday sales and people who are buying throughout the year for Christmas and and so many different options for retail. I'm not even sure if Black Friday is still really Black Friday, but retailers online and, and in person at the stores still do a lot of sales on that day. But there's a lot of them that start early now, so I don't know. All right. Uh, the special day that I wanted to mention is also today, and it's a happy birthday to Devin Harris. And Devin is my niece and nephew-in-law's son adult son. So that's why I know Devin. Uh, I don't know that any of you cared, or you may already have known that many of you because you know Devin, but happy birthday to Devin and um, Kathy or Rod, maybe you can pass that along that we said happy birthday to him here. Uh, I will wish him a happy birthday on Facebook later myself. And hello, Rod. Good to see you here. Um, so let's see what else. I don't think I've got anything else, but if you have a special day coming up in this coming week, um, you know, beyond the fact that we're celebrating Thanksgiving, I was looking to see, okay, I do see a couple of people putting, putting things in about what they're doing on Thanksgiving. My family's, most of my family is going to be here. This is going to be the first time, the first holiday season in a number of years that we have been in a, in a house, in a place that gives us enough room to have all of our kids and potentially all the grandkids here at the same time. And we're going to have all of the kids and most of the grand, or at least some of the grand, a couple of the grandkids, I guess, um, here this week, actually starting this evening, the first of our kids are going to be flying in. And then over the course of the week, have more arriving here in Spokane, where it is, by the way, um, cold outside. We, while we were in New York, couple of weeks ago two or three weeks ago now and it was 70 degrees in new york it was cold and actually snowed here in spokane and we haven't continued to have snow but it's remained cold enough that there's still snow on the ground some of it is starting to melt away as it gets a little bit warmer during the days but right now it's like 21 degrees in spokane this morning so i'm staying indoors right now um which i would be doing right now anyway because i don't typically broadcast this from outside all right um I want to get on to our conversation and our guest today. I want to tell you a little bit about Jim, uh, about Jim Mockford. He is the co-author with Jenny Farmer of a book called The Kite That Touched the Sky. It's a bilingual Chinese and English illustrated children's book that was published in the summer of 2020. 
Jim is known as a historian and writer specializing in Asian and Pacific studies and maritime history. He attended, and I hope I'm pronouncing these, Jim, you'll, you'll correct me when you come on if I don't pronounce any of these names correctly, but Jim attended Waseda University in Tokyo and graduated from the University of Oregon Honors College. He was an award-winning kite flyer at the 1987 Waifeng International Kite Festival in Waifeng, China. In 2017, he returned to Waifeng to fly kites in China once again and began to write this children's book about his grandchildren in China and the USA and their adventure together flying kites. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And so it is my pleasure to welcome Jim Mockford to Coffee Breaks with Steve. Hey, Jim. Hi, Steve. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here on a very windy day here in Portland, Oregon, uh, which is appropriate since we're going to talk about kite flying. We're going to talk about kite flying. So I, I suspect, though, it probably isn't quite as chilly, although the wind chill. I know this time of year in Portland, you get the wind chill going and it can feel like it's in yeah, the there is a wind 20s. chill here, and yeah. that's why, you know, it's great to be here with a warm cup of coffee. <laughs> As I also have, and I know you are a, you've got a, a specific logo on there, Jim. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what's your choice of coffee? You, you know, I'm quite a coffee drinker, so I'm glad yeah. that you brought up Espresso Day coming up. Today, I'm drinking something from Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters in Vancouver, yeah. Washington. Great little mm -hmm. coffee shop. They also, given that it's this year of the tiger, donated some coffee to our Northwest China Council Chinese New Year celebration. Nice. So the winner of the raffle got one of these wonderful cups. And what I'm drinking is called Paper Stripe Coffee. They, they do a variety of coffee beans there. And um, they're one of my favorite places in our area. Uh, but I... We'll give another plug to another coffee shop in Portland, Kopi Coffee, uh, which uses Poggy Coffee Roaster Yunnan Coffee when it's in season. You can actually oh drink God. coffee that's beans from China. And it's hard that's to get. Cool. You don't find Yunnan coffee beans very often. But pay, uh, there's a Super Joy Coffee in Portland and, and, and Kopi Coffee Roasters that sometimes carries that when they can get it among other many great coffees. So so I, I will plug those coffee shops and nice. coffee beans. And it's great to have a chance to, to tell that story a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I love stories. You know, that's one of the things that we're big on Coffee Breaks with Steve is people's stories, because I think that's what makes this goes beyond. And, you know, my I think that my um, the people who watch the show and definitely guests who come on the show, I make it very clear. I don't do interviews. This is not an interview because I'm not a journalist. This is a conversation. And I love in conversations, it's about building and, and, and sustaining relationship. And we, we build relationships on, on stories. When we learn more about people, like I saw um, a chat or in the chat here, Shalan posted when you were talking about paper tiger she posted, oh, I love that. You know, so again, we find those moments and those situations that bind us. I, I want to talk about your book because we introduced that fact. And I have a copy of the book here. Hey, I have hey, one hey. too. <laughs> the, the, hey, isn't that amazing? But it's it, it's a fascinating and I think just an absolutely sweet book. And if, if we get closer to the end here, we will uh, talk about where people can get the book. But I wanted to ask you about the book. And, and, and the first thing I, I want to ask you uh, is, 
it's you didn't write this alone. It says by Jim Mockford and Jenny Farmer, illustrations by Teresa Johnson. So I'm going to start by who in the world is this Jenny Farmer person? Well, Jenny Farmer is Jenny Mockford Farmer. That's my yeah. daughter. Yeah. And on the cover, you see an illustration of a young girl. That's Jenny's daughter, Emily. Yeah. And the other young uh, person on the cover of the book is my grandson, Jason Mockford. Uh, who lives in China. I'm trying to get this figured out. How, but <laughs> there we go. So there's two grandchildren on the cover of the book. One is uh, my son, Chris, and his wife, uh, Lin Xiaoyu Wang, uh, had uh, Jason in 2017 in April. And then little Emily came along in June. So all of a sudden in 2017, I have two grandchildren. And I remarked to my daughter, Jenny, here in Vancouver, I said, you know, um, we went to China to see the grandson there. We came home to see Emily born here. And um, I think I might write a book about these two grandkids and the, and the opportunity they'll have to meet, which took place later the same year. Uh, the Chinese family came to the U.S. And then the following year, we went to China with Emily. So they've been back and forth. Wow. And I was working on this book. And then Jenny said to me, you know, you ought to, you ought to include the grandparents in the story. That's me and my wife. So it was at her suggestion and she gave me other great suggestions. And before long, I said, you know, actually, Jenny, you are really co-authoring this with me yeah. um, on the creative side. So let's go ahead and acknowledge that and, and join the team. And it was her suggestion that, that we um, look at Teresa Johnson, an illustrator yeah. who lives in Vancouver, Washington, Teresa had illustrated the Rojo the Llama books. And okay. Rojo was a famous therapy llama here in Portland, owned by my, my daughter's friend. Uh, and, and sadly, Rojo passed away more recently. But at the time, Rojo the Llama was making visits to hospitals and care centers and this sort of thing. And um, Teresa had done these books. And I said to Jenny, you know, um, kites are really like animals flying in the sky, basically. And Teresa Johnson illustrates animals, including Rojo the Llama and others. And so she became our illustrator, nice. you know, thanks to that, that connection. Uh, but I will say Jenny has professional skills in, in the world of publishing in that she works for Corn Ferry and does corporate marketing materials and things like that. So she's quite familiar with the um, mechanics, you know, the, the operations of putting a publication together. Yeah. So great to have my daughter as a member of my team. Uh, and uh, uh, that's who Jenny Farmer is. And, and you know, you kind of alluded to this in talking about having part of your family here in the United States and part of your family in China. But it's fascinating to me that the book, and it's a unique thing. I, I There may be other books out there. I know there are some books that are written bilingually, but I it, to me it was fascinating to see that the kite that touched the sky is written both in English and in, and in Mandarin. Is it Mandarin Chinese that it's that it's in? Yes, and, that's correct. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Mandarin I mean, talk about is, is the, Mandarin is the form of Chinese that's the official language of China. Mm -hmm. uh, you also have some other, you know, many dialects. Yeah. Cantonese would be the the most well-known additional, you know, uh, Chinese language that's spoken by a lot of immigrants here in America because that's uh, where the Gen earlier generations came from was South China that spoke Cantonese. But Mandarin is the official language. And also um, that's my family lives in Dalian in North China. So, uh, okay. and you know, uh, it, it was, we wanted to do something 
where the book spoke to the communities where both of my families live, you know. Nice. So if somebody lived in, in France, maybe we'd have to do it in French. But uh, <laughs> uh, we this is all done prior to COVID. So we did not, at the yeah. time we envisioned the project, um, think about the problems that have occurred since we published. Uh, the other idea was that uh, it's a book that can be read by Chinese who are studying English. So in the ESL circles in, in China, yes, uh, it can be used. And on the back, you'll see a Lexile mark, which is a method to ascertain the level of English. So oh, that, interesting. So that um, people who are studying English know that it's a Lexile book uh, okay. applicable to people at a certain level. And um, uh, that there's a process where your your English language is is analyzed by the Lexile group to give it a certain level. Nice. And uh, on the Chinese side, we don't have that. We don't know what level of Chinese this is for. But it is used by um, Mandarin immersion programs here in the U.S. Here in Portland, um, several schools have had the book in class, and I've done some virtual author talks, uh, and we've done a reading that's available on YouTube by a Mandarin speaking American. Um, so that's available on our website. Uh, you know, so it's used in both areas. But nice. what we didn't anticipate was that we would be prevented from going back to China during the last few years. Because of because of COVID. Correct. And I have had a grandson born in China in 2020 who we've never met in person. Never, oh my gosh. Yeah, they haven't wow. been here. We haven't been there. We've done you know, WeChat and virtual sure. meetings with our iPad and that sort of thing, but we have not met in person. That's, you know, something to think about. And that's something to think about. And, and yeah. it's something that a number of families have had to deal with, um, mm -hmm. especially if they have family in China. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you something else here about that, but I do want to take a moment uh, to acknowledge and say hi, Didi Kiso, who's joined us. And also to welcome Sue Gustafson uh, on here in the chat. And and I think it's probably, again, for the sake of transparency, I mean, not that there'd be any controversy about this, but we've talked about this in the past about where some of the connections are um, and why I knew about Jim Mockford in the first place. But Jim actually attended the same elementary and high school that I did, although he's a couple of years older than I am and uh, was in my older sister's graduating class, and they've known each other for many, many years. And Jim and I connected at a couple of times at the uh, Adams High School reunions, and most recently just this past August. And that's, I think, where we started talking about this possibility and about the book and, and having you come on the, the show. And so um, it is fun to see some other alums from, uh, from those days tune in here to watch this and and uh i want to welcome anybody who's tuning in but do make sure that you do what others are doing say hello participate in the conversation if you have comments or you have questions for jim along the way you can put those in the chat as well and we'll see if we can address those jim talking about um china and about asia you know mentioned in the introduction that you've had a quite a background with Asia, with with countries in Asia, with through your work as well as through family, how did how did all of that come about? How did you first get interested in and involved in not only China but Japan and and I mean you went you attended some schooling there, but talk a little bit more about your connection to Asia. 
Well, let's go right back to the Kennedy School. I'll say hi to Sue and anybody else from Kennedy School in Portland, Oregon. You know, it was named after a pioneer family. And so, as you remarked, on November 22nd, we remember President Kennedy. But we were actually attending Kennedy School at that time, named after a pioneer family. Naturally, as a young person, you were happy that all of a sudden your school was... um, Appeared to be uh, affiliated with the president. Gaining notoriety, uh, even though it right, wasn't right. directly but associated. Like your yeah. sister Kathy and I are of that generation where we were probably in the fourth grade on the day that happened on November yeah. 26th. And a very sad day for all of us indeed. Um, now, now Sue's brother, Matt, was in my class. And, yeah. you know, I still get together with my old Kennedy School gang at Kennedy School, which is now McMinimum's Pub here in yeah. Portland. And that's a great place to meet your, your alumni in your third grade class at the Cypress Room Lounge <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and we wow. did celebrate our eighth grade class of 1968 with a reunion at Kennedy School in which a number of, uh, you know, uh, our classmates got together with our old teacher, Mr. Pickett, and had quite a party. And it was super fun. And I have to say, it was about this time as an elementary school kid that I kind of discovered Asia. And I did this partly here, uh, partly through the Boy Scouts, where we went to a jamboree in Idaho, and there were scouts from around the world attending. And it was at that time they announced that the next world jamboree of the Boy Scouts would be held in Japan in 1971. Wow! So with the goal of going to that event, I took Japanese at Grant High School at my freshman year. It was offered by uh, there was a teacher named Maxine Nakachi was the was the Japanese teacher. And so as a freshman at Grant High School, um, I began to study Japanese. And then Adams High opened. Uh, we all those of us that went to Grant for one year, then went up to Adams. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, in order to get my second year Japanese, I had to go back to Grant for one class my junior year. to fit, You know, I wanted the two year yeah. credit. And Adams was a very flexible and innovative school. So, you know, they didn't mind if at the end of the day, it turned out that the um, the schedule worked out that I could catch the city bus and go right down the grant and uh, take Japanese and finish my second year credit. Uh, but I did go to Japan in 1971 with the scouts and amazing event because we got to see Neil Armstrong in person. He arrived really? at the only if, you know, this is just a couple of years after he set foot on the moon. And so as a young person, you know, we had the moon landing in 69. We had, um, uh, you know, the things that one remembers uh, from that generation. But it was great to see him in person. And then disaster hit, quite frankly. What happened was we were supposed to climb Mount Fuji, but a typhoon arrived. We got wiped out. <laughs> and we got we got evacuated from our site. And, and they sent us to the gymnasium of an all-girls school. And I thought, oh, <laughs> You know, actually, it kind of helps to know a little Japanese here. And that further encouraged my, my deciding to major in Japanese when I went to college at University of Oregon and then later to Waseda University, as you mentioned, is the uh, program that I spent a year at in Japan in the wow. uh, 1970s. But in those days, you could not go to China, right? It was, it was still closed. I was quite yeah. interested in China, too. It took a little longer for me to get a first trip to China, but I did study a little Chinese at U of O as well as Japanese. Wow. So I had, had a long interest in Asia, uh, going back to the earliest times of my you know, childhood education. And uh, I think some of my classmates 
probably thought I was a little weird to be studying Japanese in those days. It wasn't, was, it wasn't the popular language to be studying It back wasn't then. obvious that Japanese was going to become a big thing in the 80s, which it did. Yeah. Um, and in those days, uh, people asked me, why were you doing this crazy thing? Uh, but I had a lot of fun with it, even without knowing that it would lead to other, other adventures in yeah. career and in life. So um, uh, that, that's all part of my story. Um, the one thing I, I like about your conversation, though, is that when you open it up, you open doors to other things. Because it's International Adoption Day, and I do want to recognize and celebrate it, I will mention that I have cousins who have adopted children. Um, nice. My brother-in-law adopted children. I think there's at least five adoptees in our extended family wow. and that they come That's from all kinds of places, including um, Native American, uh, Asian, African-American, um, I'm going to, oh, Hispanic American. Uh, uh, and so there's a bit of a rainbow family that you don't see in my face, but you might see at some sort of family gathering and that basically all of these cultures, if you go kite flying, you might see art representing the places that kites come from because they're, they're, they're global. Uh, they're all over the world, and they're very unique to each culture that is interested in kite flying. Yeah. So we'll get back to that. But uh, thanks for mentioning national adoption. Today. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kathy asked a question, which we're, we're going to be kind of transitioning to talking about kite flying itself, which is obviously the other key factor of, of your book and your life. By the way, I do need to mention that I love your setting here in your, your office, your study, whatever it is, because there is a tremendous amount behind you that relates to the cultures that you have been involved with here. It looks like a lot of Asian art and, and items that are in your... This way. Yeah, the, there's a Japanese kite from northern Japan behind me. Okay. I have um, uh, all kinds of stuff. When I do a book talk for school kids, I sometimes bring out props like this, oh my goodness like, like this dragon kite right yeah and um these are much bigger but this is a smaller example of the kite trophy i won in china in 1987 which we'll talk about that story in a minute but yeah this this little dragon kite makes uh, the children's eyes open up wide when they see the dragon arrive and i have a year of the tiger kite that's been flying this year uh all right that you'll see on our website uh, okay. So I've been having fun with all kinds of uh, kites, and and I'm not an expert kite flyer. Like when you go to the kite festival, you see these stunt kites and precision team kite flying. I'm not one of those. I'm a complete amateur when it comes to flying a kite. Okay. But in 1987, <laughs> I accidentally won this trophy. <laughs> I love the accidentally won uh, well, portion of that. Uh, you know, I'd always flown kites as a kid, like any simple kite that a, that a kid in America might fly, right? You know, um, and, uh, you know, we made kites and that sort of thing. But I, I can't say I was um, any more involved in kite flying than other than other kids that like, you know, basketball, I did that. I did all kinds of yeah. things. That, but I didn't think too much about kites until the 1980s when, when I was in Seattle, living in Seattle. I, I was executive director of the Japan America Society. And we were bringing in Japanese kite flyers to Seattle, including ones where this beautiful kite behind me is from, from northern Japan. And we did a big paper arts event in 1983 in Seattle. And, uh, uh, and so I got reacquainted with kite flying because the people that we were bringing to Seattle were professional or traditional kite flyers and kite makers. 
they hung kites at the Wingluck Museum or at Seattle Center. And a friend of mine in Seattle, David Checkley, who's a legendary person in the world of kite flying, was uh, contacted by the Chinese to bring Americans to what was in China, Weifang, China. You mentioned Weifang earlier. That's the, the, the capital of kite flying, where kite flying began over 2,000 years ago. And they had a national competition of kite flyers in China uh, from all the provinces of China. So it's a big event. And David Checkley in Seattle, kind of in the days of ping pong diplomacy, began talking about how to bring kite flyers from around the world, including the American Kite Association, to China. And the Chinese um, actually involved David in helping get that started in the 1980s. And so I've been doing exhibits in Seattle with Dave Checkley, uh, kite, kite exhibits and things like that. And finally, I decided I have to go to China with David Checkley. Wow. <laughs> and that happened in 1987 with a very small group of Americans from about five states, but uh, several of us or about five of us from Washington state. Goodness. And, and um, so I get to China and at this event, at the very last minute before we're supposed to fly kites, uh, Jim and Kay Beesing, Kay was the original executive director of the World Kite Museum in Long Beach, Washington, but it hadn't even been started yet. She was the owner of a kite shop with her husband, Jim. And Jim and Kay said to me at the very last minute, they said, we want to fly the kite we made ourselves. Can you fly this other kite? And the <laughs> rules of the kite competition are you simply have to be there and you can fly a kite you purchased, okay. you, you made yourself, you borrowed from a relative. It doesn't matter where the kite came from. But you have to be there. You're wearing a number. You're flying a kite. So I'm flying this. Turns out I ended up flying a kite that's about 30 feet across, takes several people to launch. And I'm wearing my little number. And the kite was actually made by a guy who won the Smithsonian Award for kite design. But he couldn't go to China. So he sent his kite. <laughs> and, and the Chinese loved the kite. And I just it was sort of you know, the guy holding the strings at the time. And I ended up winning this beautiful trophy kite, which I then felt I should um, make available beyond those that visit my my study. Yeah. So I gave it, when the World Kite Museum opened in, in in Long Beach, Washington, I gave that trophy kite to the World Kite Museum. So you can see it on exhibit there. I still have a certificate with my, you know, initials, including the horse Goodness. character, Ma, for Mockford. <laughs> uh, but I, I uh, borrowed that kite back to exhibit the trophy kite in Portland in 2020 at Lansu Chinese Garden. And then COVID hit. And the entire exhibition, which was supposed to last a month, it, it closed. closed. And the World Kite Museum yeah. closed. And I had all these kites in this very room for quite about six months until I could return them to the, the various places they came from. Uh, so, yeah, 1987 was the key year for me to get really, really involved with kite flyers and kite people from around the world. And I, I was actually interviewed on TV Tokyo in Japanese uh, in China when I won this award. <laughs> but uh, we came back from that. And I felt bad because my, my wife could not go to China with me. She was pregnant with our daughter, Jenny, Jenny, Farmer, okay. Jenny Mockford at that time. And so 30 years later, Steve, the director of the Wuhan Kite Festival sent me a letter saying, as an old, thank you for mentioning that I'm old, but as an old and distinguished friend of the Kite Festival, please come to Weifang in 2007 for the 30th wow. anniversary and bring your wife this time. Nice. This time Cheryl got to come. We were already planning to go to Dalian to see baby Jason, you know, like yeah. the time frame of his being born in April. And the kite festival was around the same time. And so Mr. Liu at Weifang 
paid for our, uh, once we got to China and we're about to see the grandkids, um, we uh, were then taken as his guest to the hotel and given red, red carpet treatment in Weifang. But he had also contacted me a few weeks earlier and said, if you can come a week early, we'd like you to be our guest in Dunhuang. And so we also attended in 1987 the first Dunhuang International Kite Festival. Goodness. That was about the 34th Weifang Kite Festival at this point. But uh, uh, we fly 1,000 miles west of Beijing to the Silk Road at the edge of the Gobi Desert where the Mogao Caves are located. Uh, you know, and there's an exhibit of the Mogao Caves in Seattle uh, right now. But um, okay. anyway, it's, a, it's, a, it's where the Silk Road takes off to go across Central Asia. And we flew kites at Dunhuang, China, and then came back to Weifang and had this remarkable wow. experience in 2017, not to mention the grandson being born in China. Yeah. And then we come back to have baby Emily born here in Vancouver in June. So now I've got the grandkids and kites, you know, and so the room's a big mess, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to, I know we're going to run short on time here. And I saw that Sue had a, a question in there. What we'll do uh, just for all of the, the viewers on here is Jim will have access to go back to the chat uh, after the show. So hopefully if there were any comments or questions that we didn't get to, we'll, uh, we'll have a chance to follow up on those. I want to finish with some, get some info, a couple of pieces of information out there. And uh, the first thing I want to do is talk to people about where they can find your book if they want to buy the book. And uh, I know it's available in a variety of places, but uh, for instance, I know we can you can find it on Amazon.com. It's out there, right? Right. right. And, and uh, go ahead. Uh, no, Amazon's a great place for authors who um, want to have an author page and also get reviews, mm -hmm. right? And and so we are on Amazon, but I am distributed through Ingram. And that's what bookstores like to do is, is yeah. get your book through a distributor like Ingram, Ingram Spark. And that organization was quite helpful to uh, the publication of the book and also um, other things they do. I don't have to go into that today, but um, Ingram's our distributor. We can be found on the portals of local bookstores if they have the type of portal that you do there uh, as you're showing. You may have a local bookstore that will allow you, even if they don't have the book in stock, you can go to their portal and or our book and pick it up yeah, at your yeah. local bookstore. But not all local bookstores have that ability to do that. But and this is one you mentioned yeah. to me because this is one that's in Spokane. And one of the things I wanted to mention is you'll see if you compare the prices, Amazon's was lower. But part of what you just referred to is that part of what is often built into the independent bookstores, local bookstores, is their own cost in shipping and getting it to the bookstore. And, and, you know, Amazon bounces prices around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they do. And so we don't have control over what, you know, they could offer it for just about anything. We don't have control yeah. over that. We do have a retail price. The bookstore usually offers it at retail, and then they do their pricing. And they can determine if they want to change that a little bit. That's up to them. Uh, we are also found at some gift shops like Portland Chinatown Museum or the World Kite Museum gift shop. And those are separate arrangements we make with gift shops that um, may not have the ability to order through Ingram, actually, because they're a gift shop. They're not a bookstore. So so uh, it can be found in various places. And I've had people call me from Oklahoma, and I can tell them that, hey, you get it on Amazon, but you can also go to a local bookstore in Enid, Oklahoma, and you might be able to find it you know, uh, through their portal. So yeah. we do like to support local bookstores because in the before COVID, they did such a great job of having author talks and events where you could do book yeah. signings. And we haven't been doing that at all for the last few years. Uh, it hasn't been possible to do much of that sort. 
Um, so we've had very, we've had some in-person, but rather few appearances. Um, and I hope you'll mention the World Kite uh, Museum and the International Kite Festival in August. Yes. Because la we were back there in person for the first time in several years in 2022. And Miss Washington, you, uh, Miss Washington, who's part of the Miss America pageant, Regan Gallo from Pierce County, Washington, read our book in person nice. to about 25 kids plus about a similar number of parents and grandparents at the kite event. And then she also flew a kite. I and, love that. Uh, she went and flew kites with the kids. And Regan will be in the Miss America uh, pageant in December. And so I want to promote you watching that. But you can also see a picture of her standing in front of one of her yeah. projects is the Mary Bridge Children's Health Center, which has a kite as their logo. You oh, know? I love that. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And so we did uh, for, for Regan Gallo. Uh, I'll put this on my website at some point. Super. But she, she did a great job of reading uh, our book to kids in, in English, of course, in person at the, at the Kite Festival. And so we want to support her in her efforts this month. And she does a lot of really amazing things uh, in the community. That's uh, great. So that's I was going to mention, Jim, that um, I wanted to mention we do have slide up here is from your website, kumquatkids.com. And we have dropped into the chat um, the information on the links to kumquatkids.com, the World Kite Museum in Long Beach, Washington, the American Kite Flyers Association and the Northwest China Council. And if those links when copied into the chat, if they're not live, you can still copy the links and drop them in um, on your browser and, and go to those sites. So I just wanted to, to mention that. And uh, we are running short on time. So I have one more question for you. And it's a question that, you know, we always want to find out from people who are involved in doing so many things. What's next for Jim Mockford? Well, Steve, uh, I'm really happy you asked that because just this week I received notification from an author named Sean Michael Wilson, who's a Scottish writer. And okay. he's producing a manga, uh, a, a manga about uh, Japan. And I'm going to appear not as a co-author or editor or contributor in any way other than that I'm a character in the manga. Oh, and goodness. So this, this is crazy because in 2003, I went to Japan, visited a historical site, and I met the seventh generation descendant of a famous Japanese samurai named Mamiya Rinzo. <laughs> and I put that on my blog. Don Michael Wilson <laughs> discovered it. His illustrator is Akiko Shimajima. And in the chat line, I think we can add the link to Amazon. It'll come out mid-December on Amazon uh, that this new manga, and Sean Michael Wilson's written a lot of manga about Japan, about, okay. about samurai and that sort of thing. And this is a historical manga. And this is a crazy case where as an American historian, I'm doing something and then I get captured up in the story. And so there'll Goodness. be an illustration of me. And it's without my glasses, I believe. Okay, I so now off. we need to see you. Yeah, we need to see what yeah, you're going to look I, like. I took my glasses off in 2003 when I was posing in front of the samurai statue. So that's what you used. A then 90-plus-year-old uh, man who was at the birthplace uh, museum of Mami Renzo. And he's not very well known because Japanese weren't uh, known to be leaving Japan as explorers. But, in fact, he did go up to Sakhalin and meet the Russians and Chinese and Ainu people and things like that um, uh, on a mission that never got much attention because Japan was an isolated country. Yeah. So this Jim new Mockford. manga comes out soon. <laughs> yeah. So listen, I want to thank you for being here and I'll just put it out there right now. I hope that you'll come back and join us again to further the conversation at some point. 
Well, thanks so much. And thanks for everyone who joined today and especially old friends, uh, you, you know, who might be in the list that I'll look at later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From Portland to everyone around. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jim. Have a happy Thanksgiving and we'll talk soon. You too, Steve. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, listen, a couple of things. I know we're getting short on time. A couple of things I want to share with you, just uh, what's coming up. It's, it's a little bit crazy making right now because we've been trying to schedule Coffee Breaks programs, uh, getting through and past the holidays. And weirdly enough, some of these are, are confirmed and some are still tentative, but we're working on them. We've got Coffee Breaks episodes kind of planned out into the second quarter of 2023. We've got a bunch of things coming up. But next week, we're just going to have a cool little conversation with family here in town. I may even get a couple of my family members to join me on the air to talk about how we can appreciate family. At this Thanksgiving season, this holiday season, family, we know that families compete complex and there are even some challenging situations often within families. Not everybody has healthy relationships with every family member. We're going to talk about the ways in which we can appreciate uh, members of the family. And so that's just one of the things coming up. Just a reminder, and you probably have figured this out by now, but we are now extending the length of the program. We just find with conversations such as the one we had today with guests on that it's running a bit longer. So rather than tell you we're going to be on from 9 30 to 10 and then run late we're trying to trying to get it finished up by not, by 10 15 and even that sometimes can be an interesting challenge and then a reminder that we are available on the podcast site spotify apple podcasts and google podcasts uh, within 24 to 48 hours of the show being on the air live so that's a place that you can let people uh, know that we are here i want to thank you all for being here for joining the conversation once again i do want to wish you all a happy and uh, blessed thanksgiving no matter how you're celebrating and with whom you're celebrating. I hope it's a special time of year for you. And just a reminder, we all have an, a voice. We all have ways, no matter where we are, or what we do, we all have ways of taking some kind of action to support the things and to, to be a, a part of the conversations that we need to. So please find a way to make a difference in your world this week. God bless you. Have a great week.